0: curiosity is the best tool i have as a therapist by far and i think it's the best tool that my clients have as clients by far
1: welcome to story listeners the healer season a research podcast investigating the role of narrative listening in vocations in this third episode we speak to a mental health therapist who has asked to keep his name anonymous he talks about the power of curiosity and the role of genuine interest To guide the way he listens to his clients. In fact, he tells this to one of his clients, Michael Humphrey. Michael talks about what he learned with Katie Mitchell, Milo Gladstein, and Lucy Bowman. Next, on
2: Story Listeners.
1: Who are we learning from this
2: week? Well, I can't use this person's name. Um, And yet, I'm about to reveal something uh, very personal. Which is, this is my therapist. Um, This is somebody I've been going to for about five years. And, and I probably never watched somebody do story listening more in my life than this man. Um, so I asked him if he'd be willing to, to talk to me about his philosophy of, of therapy and how listening plays a role in that. And also how narrative um, plays a role in that. And he said he would, as long as I didn't use his name. Um, he's, concerned about connections that he has to his organization, as well as there is a lot of privacy issues around this, but I have the right to to say that this is my therapist. And so this is my therapist.
0: <laughs> I've always been a student of the human condition. I've always been curious about people, you know, back when I, you know, when I was a young man at parties and stuff, I would always want to talk deeply with people. I would be the one that would be up at three in the morning, washing dishes and talking to somebody. As opposed to just carousing, I mean, I did my share of carousing, too, but I've always been curious about people. I've always sought opportunities to learn more and to, to go deeper and to explore, you know, what makes people tick and all that. So that's always been for me. I've always wanted that, and that existed side by side with a sort of paranoia and fear of academia. Um, partially because my mother had like 27 master's degrees and it never seemed to make her very happy. And I was almost 50 before I gave myself permission to get over that and go out and get a bachelor's degree. And then went out and and got a master's degree, do what I had to do to get licensed.
1: What did you initially want to gain when you started going to therapy?
2: I started going to therapy after my dad died. And I was having this really strange experience of feeling like an extra dose of anxiety, which I've always had to deal with. I've always had a lot of anxiety. But it was worse in in my grief. And I didn't understand that. And I didn't know how to manage it. And so um, I found this guy online. I did a lot of looking because I knew I needed somebody who, I guess, weirdly, I never thought about this, but I think in some ways I felt like I needed a father figure. He's older than me. It's kind of a bear of a man, and there's there's just something really comforting about him.
0: My my home was a matriarchy in a lot of ways. My dad was a World War II veteran who was tougher than nails and never afraid to show it. And my sister was really smart, really uh and very kind of aggressive and competitive. So in that family, I was I was toast, you know. So I think that might have been. Where I started sitting back and watching and and observing and, instead of trying to jump in and,
2: and participate. So when I found his picture online, I, I reached out and our first meeting, he said, "I don't think your I don't think your anxiety and your um your grief are connected. I think um you're probably not addressing your grief enough right now, and so it's more about going into the grief. Um, so we did." And I trusted him with that.
0: Do you think that's a fairly common response Um, if you are the, the powerless
2: one in a family to become the observer?
0: Well, I was just thinking of you as I was finishing that answer, being a journalist, you know, and, and, and wondering if maybe that was, you know, some of what was there for you because you could sit back and observe and, and you know, kind of stay out of danger. Yeah, that that really does make sense to me. I think that I...
2: He was really good at at connecting dots, which in a lot of ways, that's a really important part of what a a narrative listener does, is hear something one time, connect that to something another time, and say, I'm hearing these two things, how do they relate to each other? And that was giving me tons of really deep insights. One of the things that really helped me is I've always looked at myself through judgment and was been like, you need to stop thinking this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> why are you still thinking this? Like, why are you, you know, anxiety is a lot about looping your thoughts. You know, you think the same thought over and over and it keeps coming back. And I'd be like very judgmental myself for that. Um, he started to say things like, you have two choices here. You can either, you can either judge or you can be curious. Um, and treating your own mind with curiosity is a really, really powerful tool
0: if I could substitute one thing for a university education, you know, like out of all the lessons I've learned about everything in my, my postgraduate education, if I could just get a big, you know, like a double shot of curiosity, curiosity is the best tool I have as a therapist by far. And I think it's the best tool that my clients have as clients by far. It's pretty universal. So to me, somebody to not be curious, they also probably have had that curiosity knocked out of them to some degree or another. One of the reasons why one would lose their curiosity is because um, they've been curious and have had some, like a parent or a circumstance that gave them a real negative consequence. And so they've just decided that it's not safe or
1: do you think this is pretty standard for a mental health therapist to stress curiosity?:
2: Yeah, it's a great question. i I don't know if in, any of you um, done therapy uh, before?
3: Oh, many years. <laughs> <laughs> oh many years. Is, is this
2: a common theme that for you too?: Katie? Yeah, I've
3: noticed this as well. My therapist also talks about the awareness of yeah. stepping back and watching what you're thinking. yeah and and witnessing it instead of judging it. So.
2: Y- yeah, the witnessing is that curiosity mm-hmm. part.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: Um, does your therapist talk about the need for curiosity? Because this was the first one I ever had talked about it. Um, No,
3: I think it's been through other readings that I've done on top of the therapy that I've started to recognize it as curiosity. But she's not naming it in the way that it sounds like your therapist is.
0: Because both my sister and my mother really supported me. It kind of helped me get into school. You know, I kind of hit the ground running when it came to school. I was taught how to read at an early age. And encouraged to learn at an early age. And so I was also really just drawn to that, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Learning. Yeah. Learn As opposed to education. And, that's, and that, is, that is my whole life. I'm yeah. almost 69, and learning is still maybe the biggest thing for me. I mean, it's the thing that gets me excited. It
2: makes me wonder. It may not be like the end-all and be-all for all therapists, but it might be. But really critical for good story listeners, you know um, that that there is this need to understand more, which is how I would define curiosity. Another way of thinking about curiosity is like sort of the Al- Alice in Wonderland way of the curiouser and curiouser. You know that you are willing to go to places that most people might be afraid to think about. You know. And he's definitely that. Too,
4: you know? <laughs> he takes you there. Oh, I tell him everything. You know,
2: and he's like, "Yeah, it's okay." You know, he's like absorbs anything I have <laughs> in me. You know, and um, I think that's an element of curiosity too. Or we think about curiosities. You know, that they are things that don't naturally fit into the normative world. That's cool because he's kind of a rebel in his own right. Um, so I think he's used to that way of thinking.
0: And another huge influence on my life is. Um, I have ADHD and was undiagnosed for most of my life, and so as a result, had a pretty short attention span, um, a pretty limited ability to focus. Uh, I was very intelligent, so I was fortunate. One of the people that it didn't so much kill me in school, I still got decent marks, even with it. But my capacity one of the reasons why I didn't continue my education, you know, is the further up you get in your education, the more you have to focus, the longer you have to, you know, like a university education, you don't get it by, you know, you know just reading a textbook and take a test. You know? And, and so I think uh, my, my ADHD, it just kind of launched me out into the world and, and I would get jobs and then I would mess them up. Have to go get another job, and I get relationships mess them up, and have to get another relationship. So I, I was—I uh I would say the first, you know, fifteen years of my adulthood, ten to fifteen years, were pretty, pretty lost.
3: I have a question. So you just use the word he ab- absorbs. Do you think that it's easier for you to step out and be curious when you know that somebody else is absorbing what's going on for you in those moments?
2: I think it totally. Depends on who it is. Mm. At the end of the day, it becomes about relationship. And um, here in my trust, you know, through time, I started to trust him, and because of that, I started to tell him things that probably only my wife has heard from me. Other therapists haven't even heard from me. And I've had some good ones, you know. But yeah, I was starting to realize that you know we were building not just a rapport but a relationship. And uh, again, that theoretically fits. Relating narratives, because the term is relating narratives that all this idea is based on is that relationships get to get to get formed there. And in some ways, that means I have come to know his life story, not as much as he knows mine, but way more than you would think, you would know, that's what has opened up this other portal where curiosity can really enter in. So it's not just my scripts. It's not just the things I would tell anybody. He's really, really getting to know me. The me, 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 me. me. I
4: have a question. Yeah. Um is there something different that this therapist is doing that maybe other therapists or people in your life weren't doing and listening to you in a way that you felt that you haven't been listened to in the past that kind of built that comfortability for you to be able to discuss these things with him?
2: Yeah. I think and I think this is um this is a really critical listening question. Like he's not afraid to tell me when I am saying something that he can relate to his own story. So there are moments where it's almost like the room is flipped. I am listening to him.
0: There's supposed to be a professional distance. And there is a substantial, I mean, it's, it's huge, the gap there. I mean, there are some people who are like, you don't get to know me at all. Almost like robot therapy. Right. And, and you can tell from the way I'm talking about it, not my style. And, and if I had to say, I think that I am a little bit too personal. I think I am a little bit too connective. I really prefer having a dialogue with clients rather than a monologue or rather than a client dumping for 40 minutes and then be giving my wisdom about it. Um, I really prefer, you know, that if we're going to do this, well, first of all, in therapy, as I said before, like in, in that experience with context, the client's doing the work. And I don't, you know, I'm not, there's coming to me and I'm a therapist. I'm supposed to make them feel better. But the bottom line is, they're the one who does the work or doesn't. And, and I, you know, I, I kind of want to get in and lead in as much as I can and, And in some ways, get as close as I can in the process of helping. I don't know. I think in some ways I can help more that way.
2: You know, one of the things that's interesting about him is you might not, you may not watch him do his job and think, um, this is a great listener off the top because he doesn't have, he is a good listener. Don't get me wrong, but he doesn't like always. Um, look you right in the eyes and nod all the time and say, "Oh, I hear you." You know, it's like it's like he's, not, he's not like that. Like he he's really unorthodox um, in a lot of ways, and he knows that. Like he totally gets that. That's who he is. Because a lot of you know, kind of
0: traditional psychotherapy is you're supposed to be outside counseling the, the client who's inside, or like with a couple, like they're doing therapy, you're over here. And there's a distance and there's and 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 to me, it's like pretending like your presence isn't having an impact. And I'm
2: bullshit. Of course it's having impact. He told me there are really only two things you need to have to be a good listener. In fact he doesn't think listening's hard at all which I think is interesting because we're building this whole theory <laughs> of podcasts. i <here>. was <laughs> like, Oh really? Okay. Well, you know. Try not uh, to think about that too. Uh, much. Yeah. Appreciate that. Um, he's like, I don't think it's that hard at all. I think you need curiosity and you need to be interested. And those two things to me,
0: listening is just one aspect of how you would respond in that situation. I mean, so, so it's like it's not, to me, it's not dependent on your listening skills. It's dependent on do you care? or Are you interested? And then those skills, I think, would tend to just appear. And when you ask can things, you know, can you teach listening? Can, you know, it's like, I think being present with somebody, like really showing up and being present. If you can do that, everything else is great. I mean, In my way of looking at things like that's that's it, man. Being present with somebody and showing up and, you know, and you're seeing them and you're hearing them. And I think that is, that's the alpha and the omega. And everything else is just, you know, fill in the gaps and figure out some other moves
2: to make and stuff like that.
3: That gives me a lot of confidence going forward.
2: That's good. Yeah. Somebody asked me if I think that's true.
3: Do you think that's true?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um... It might be for certain kinds of people because I do think there's a talent issue when it comes to listening, you know. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I I, am applying listening in the same – very same ways that I applied writing for most of my career. I was always teaching people how to write their life stories in libraries while I did that for almost all my, my journalism career. Because I always believed that anybody could write their life story if they were just given some basic tools. Um. But I also know that there are certain writers who just have this gift of poetry and prose that just pulls you somewhere. You know, I think he is an especially gifted listener. I think he's, um, a, a different kind of listener. And so for him, I think it is true that as long as he's curious and stays connected through interest to the, whoever's listening to, he's going to be really good at this. I think for some of us, we need more than that but i think for for certain people and sports is a good analogy here you know you just see some athletes who it just looks so easy for them you know and when you ask them how they almost don't even know how to answer the question um i do think curiosity is critical i think it's i think it is a necessary condition to be a good listener you know you want to know what you're hearing or you're not going to hear everything Um, but I think for some of us, we need more skills, tools, tricks of the trade than that to do a really good job at listening to somebody. What do you think? Do you think that's enough?
1: If you are already kind of blessed with this natural ability to be super curious and interested in someone else, then that could be enough. And for others, um, it's a tool
2: that
4: you get better with when you apply practice. What do you think, Myla? been thinking about this while i've been talking about it well i'd be curious to ask him um if he's ever been in a situation where he was too curious and (sighs) uh i'm not gonna say hurt but was a detriment to the session that's a really interesting question um so that's one thing i was thinking about i also think that different people interpret curiosity in different ways and i think that Psychological curiosity is very different than philosophical curiosity. So I think it would be really interesting to compare um, your therapist's definition and of curiosity and how he uses curiosity in his work to kind of somebody more closer to the philosophy or English field or even to us as journalists and how that relates to our field.
2: So is another way to think about this the difference between curiosity of ideas and concepts and maybe even phenomena versus the curiosity of people? specifically.
4: Absolutely. I think that's the biggest distinction and I think that's why therapists are therapists and journalists are journalists. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's good. I I think you know and and what you both said that made me think a little more clearly here is that maybe he's right in the sense that it is enough but curiosity is not the easiest thing to attain. So how do you become more curious in people? Cuz that is what we're talking about. Like we are going to extract information from people in what we're doing here. But what we're really trying to do is extract the narrative identity, right? Like the the person, um, the whole person. And and that means being interested in people and being curious about people. Um, And maybe that's not always a natural state. And so, you know, like some people who are listening might think, I am really good at this already. You know, it's just like writers I've met like that who are just really naturally good at writing, just came straight through them, like almost like a voice. Now, my thought about them was always like, you know, good for you, man. (laughs) You You don't have to listen to this podcast anymore. (laughs) You're already good at this. Um, But I think, you know, for most of us, even people who are exceptionally good at this, there's always one more thing to learn, one more thing to do to keep getting better and to grow. And I think he would agree with that.
0: If a person is able to care about other people, I absolutely think they can learn how to be a great listener. And, and I think that's what it is. It's like I probably sociopaths are probably not great listeners, <laughs> you know. I, but I, I really think it's, it's more about how I care about somebody.
2: To be curious means, um, to, to, to be willing to be uncomfortable. Your curiosities will take you to places that will naturally make you uncomfortable. And so getting comfortable with discomfort is one of the, th- one of the skills we're talking about. But that point that he's making, being curious and being interested also means you have to hold information together, um, about another life in a way that you can connect it. Or you're either going to make up your own story about them. You're not going to help them understand their story better or you're going to discombobulate their own thinking about it. And there's research that shows this. Like, so you have to be engaged enough to know how to help them connect dots. That's something he's really good at. Um, he knows how to connect those dots and, and put the narrative arc together of somebody's life in a way that, uh, that helps them see it better for themselves make sense out of it, and move forward from there. How important is a person's understanding of their self-narrative to their overall mental health and to their ability
0: to heal or to to grow? I think it is absolutely 1,000% essential, I think, self-narrative. I think because one of my – I have, like, little therapy sayings now. And one of them is that, you know, that where things start, where the healing starts, where growth starts, is with awareness. And so a person who doesn't have awareness about themselves and about their process, I'm not sure if they can heal. The kind of like
1: lesson of our conversation for me, at least, was in order to be a good listener, you kind of have to be the most empathetic version of yourself. So you have to, at the same time, hold a curiosity about another person um, and be interested enough in their story to ask sometimes these difficult follow-up questions. And in those, when you're asking those questions, it may feel like you're kind of probing insensitive topics for another person. But if you are leading from a place of care, then you recognize that that discussion can end up being valuable for both of you.
4: The big thing to me, curiosity needs to go both ways to be a successful story listener, storyteller. And oftentimes you will do the best work when you don't shut yourself out as the listener and kind of block yourself out, uh, which is something that we've talked about a lot. So I think that was the most impactful part.
3: I think about um, the importance of the relationship building and breaking down a wall that tends to go up in these situations and how he's using curiosity as a part of that and isn't afraid to call you out when your mind is doing different things. Although I'm, I'm not sure I'm completely sold on curiosity being something that is something you're completely just born with. Like we've talked Mm, about, mm. I, I do question that and think there is an element of nurture that's involved. Um, but that may be for another conversation,
2: <laughs> yeah, this definitely can keep discussing yeah. that yeah, I guess I guess the takeaway I had from it was many of the things that made me feel seen and heard by him come from less from his training and more from him, you know, and that's why I think maybe what I learned from it is I need to keep cultivating a human being here, not just skills but who I really am deep inside of me, I need to cultivate a human being. That wants to hear as many stories as possible. So I like that's about building a self in a way that has really doesn't have as much to do with the skills as it has to do with being a better person, just growing as a human being and thinking about what feeds me to make me want to be in the world this way. You know, um, so, and that can be different things for different people. It can be spirituality for some people. It can be psychology, It can be philosophy. Um, it might be. The the way you, you know, run in the world, the way you walk, I mean, you know, who knows, but whatever it takes to keep building the human is probably going to be one of the components of what makes us a good story listener as well. I came away from our discussion, which was very strange because all of a sudden I was the questioner and he was mm-hmm. the, he was the one talking. Um And I was the main listener that day, but I came away from that thinking what makes this work is that person and their entire history, not just when they went in to train to be a counselor, but, but before that, everything they've been through, he brings everything into that. And that is just an incredibly special gift to give somebody else, me this time. So um, I also learned a lesson I keep having to learn over and over, which is to remember to be grateful. Um, I'm very grateful for his his presence in my life. So. Good talk, you all. Thank you, and we'll talk to you next time.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank
4: you.